Today is the dreaded giving talk. Ah, it's the giving talk. Um, so if you invited somebody, sorry, you know, you're always like, ah, I invited somebody. And you knew he was going to talk about giving, right? Um, but, but, you know, honestly, if, if we take an honest evaluation of the Bible, um, to, there's just no way around it. There, there's no way around the reality that, that, that followers of Jesus are called to um, really a, a radical giving of themselves. Um, and we're going to look at a few facets of that, our time, our treasure, and our talents as we kind of look into this. Uh, Paul said this. He said that, to, that the words of Jesus in Acts, he, he said that Jesus himself said that it was more blessed to give than to receive. And, and so giving really is this thing that, that, that God is calling us to. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about giving, and he talks about the reality of even money in our own lives uh, more than almost anything else as he deals with ministry and talks about us in the New Testament. So it's something that, honestly, I stand up here absolutely unashamedly to talk about giving because giving is a blessing to us. It, it, it is, it's a heart transformation that God wants to make in us. When we start to think about, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, what does Jesus want to do with us? Well, he's, he's bringing us more and more into the image of Christ, right? He, we're in a process of sanctification in which he's changing us. And he's given us many institutions that draw us out of ourselves and into the reality of the lives of others, right? Marriage becomes one of those things where we become committed not just to our own self and our own endeavors, but to someone else. We promise to them that, that, that we will be faithful and that we will stick through it through any of the tough times. You see, it takes us outside of ourselves, and it causes us to invest into others. Children do the same thing as well, right? With children, we begin to then live our lives for some reasons outside of ourselves. And giving is even a bigger picture in which God is calling us as the church and as his people to be radical givers that the world might know him, that he, they might receive, that they might, we might glorify God, that we might make him famous in the world around us by how we give. So why do we give? That's one of those questions. I mean, why, why even do we give and what does that look like? And I know right now that, that that's a big question and it's a legitimate question. I can, I can remember honestly before I was a Christian, I remember my dad was telling me about um, some, some people um, and, and they were, they were, he told me, he said, you know what, those people, they give 10% of everything they make to that church. And I was blown away by that. I honestly was like, I couldn't get that. I could not understand that. It made no sense to me. I started adding and thinking about that, and I was like, man, that's like a truck payment, you know, like a pretty nice truck, you know, and stuff. And why would you do that? I just, I, I couldn't wrap my head around why anybody would give on, on those kinds of terms. And honestly, um, and it, it was really just a, a reflection of where I was at and where my heart was at and those kinds of things. So, so anyway, why do we give? Is it to, you know, the church, we just, the church just wants my money, right? That pastor, he just wants his, my money, right? Because he's, he's trying to get a jet or something. Um, but I'm a long ways from a jet. I can promise you that jet, jets aren't in the future for me, okay? Um, I, I'm not getting a jet, um, some pastors might be, but it's not happening here at The Rock. Um, and the church, this is a great time. I love it to be able to talk to you guys about this at this time because we're just coming off of what was the best giving year that The Rock Church has ever had. So, so we're not coming at this from like this, oh, we're just in need and we need all of this kind of stuff. No, no, there's not a need, okay? And, and there's not a need on the end of God. 
Does God have a need? No. God is without need. Does God need for us to give? Well, no, not exactly. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, right? Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. So is God in need? The answer to that is no. There is no need on the end of God for us to give. I can promise you that all of the need about giving is about us. We need to be the ones who become givers. It's about a transformation of our hearts that God wants to do in our lives. I know that what I need in my walk with the Lord is to move into places of more generosity. And we'll talk about that because that, looks, that, that, that can look, it's not just money that we're talking about here. Because sometimes it's really easy, and I think that in America, a lot of times, it's very easy to give money. Sometimes it's more difficult to give time, right? Um, and, and I think that, that, but God honestly is calling, to, calling us to both of those things. He's calling us to, to be people who are willing to give of our time, to invest into others, to invest into um, other people's lives, to be willing to be inconvenienced in our own lives on behalf of somebody else, and also to financially contribute to the world around us and to the ministries around us, because honestly, at the bottom of the whole thing, it just costs money to do some of these things, right? But God has called us to, to reach the world and, and to do this, and, he, and he's given us the great privilege to be a part of what he's doing here in this world. So, I think this is a matter of source to a big degree. It is for me. It always has been. Imagine this. Imagine I just put up this big ATM machine right here kind of a thing, this big kiosk kind of a thing. And in this ATM machine, um, you, you could walk up to this thing, and when you walked up to it, it would give you 100 bucks. okay? But then there was a catch to it, because there always is, right? You give 10 back to it, okay? And then walk away. How often would you be willing to come up to the machine? and make that deal, that transaction. I, I would just keep getting in line, wouldn't you? 100 bucks, 10 back, 100 bucks, 10 back, 100 bucks, 10 back. And don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not trying to establish actually a, a, any kind of a percentage because I, I think that, uh, I, I just don't want to do that right now. But the point isn't that. The point isn't about the, the thing. The point is about the source. You see, until we recognize that there's a source outside of ourselves that is the source of all things, we won't really be willing to be generous in a lot of areas. See, the reason that we would be very willing to just keep giving 10 back all day to that machine is because we would see it as the source of, of our provision. And this is the reality of what God is calling us to, is to recognize that, that this isn't like about me. It's not about us. It's not about our talents. It's not about our abilities. It's not about our hard work. You see, any of those things are things that God has gifted us with. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're super smart and God has blessed you with that, then, then he's still the source of that. If you're able-bodied and you're strong and you're a hard worker and you make your living that way, well, God is still the source of that as well. And so God is just calling us to this recognition of the reality that he is the source of all things. Acts 17, 25 says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So, so it really becomes the first place in, in us practically beginning to understand or, or practically becoming more giving in our lives is to just allow God to do 
that heart work in our lives of just examining our hearts before the Lord and just seeing where we're at in this. And this isn't about any kind of conviction. I'm not, I'm not bringing conviction or judgment or anything like that on anybody. I'm just saying that I need to look at my own heart. And I need to look at the areas of my life where I start to say no. And I need to evaluate why is it that I say no in those areas. Some of those areas may very well be that maybe those things aren't things that God are, is calling me to. Maybe in particular, if we're talking about our time, maybe, maybe some of that time isn't something that God is particularly calling me to, and so it's not very life-giving, and maybe I struggle with it, and so I start to say no. And, and if that's the case, we need to look at that. But if it's just a no because I'm just, just being selfish with things, then, then I've got to look at that as well. And I think that what God is calling us to also, we have to remember is that God is calling us as a people to, to a really whole balanced life. Remember the, the word shalom or the word peace in, in, the, in the Hebrew language was a, was a very encompassing word that talked about every facet, every aspect of our lives being in balance. It wasn't just about the absence of conflict in our lives. It was about the balance of life and how we were living out our lives with generosity, with time, with rest, with our, you know, Sabbath time and these kinds of different things and how that brings into our lives really a shalom that God wants to bring into our lives. You see, God, well, the problem with giving with me is that I, when I give, I feel like I'll have less. But you see, that's not the principle that God is actually teaching us or actually wanting us to begin to walk in. So God is a giver, right? God is the giver. Romans 8.32 says this. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, this all begins, and the source of all Christian giving is God and how giving this God is on our behalf. You see, what we see when we look into this, we see that, that God gave the Son. The Father gave the Son on our behalf. And if this Father gave the Son on our behalf, how will He not graciously give us all things? So the Father, He's given the Son. The Son gives the Spirit, right? John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The Father sends the, gives the Son. The Son gives the Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. And so the Spirit gives gifts. Do you see the gift cascade that's going on here? The Father gives the Son. The Son gives the Spirit. The Spirit gives gifts. The gifts that God gives are not yours. The gifts that are given to the people of God are, that, well, A, the, the Spirit owns them, and the Spirit gives them as He sees fit, but they belong to the church, and they belong to the edification and the furtherance of the church, and that's the place where they're meant to be given. You see, Jesus told a parable, right, about us taking the talents and the gifts and the, the, the resources that we have, and versus a kingdom principle, which is a kingdom of investment, 
we begin to just bury and just take care of number one and make sure that I'm okay. You know, instead of, you know, I just had this one talent, so I don't want to lose it. I want to make sure I give it back to this guy who I think it might be really harsh with me if I don't give it back to him. I'll just bury it and I'll be, make sure that I'm okay. See, it's an attitude of self-preservation. Ultimately, that attitude has its roots in selfishness and greed in itself. And that's one that's offensive to the father we see in that whole thing. And so the Father has given the Son, the Son has given the Spirit, the Spirit has given gifts to the church, and the church is meant to be a giving church. The people of God are meant to give. 2 Corinthians 9.16, if you've, if you've got your Bible or you want grab, grab one in the pew there, grab it out. I want to read through this and look at it. Maybe you'll turn your Bible on. I don't know um, how you do that, but, uh, but, but I want to look at this. I want to look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, and, and this, is, this is where Paul is talking about a gift that's been given to him, and he begins to line out this idea of giving and what it looks like. In verse 6, it says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, what's he saying? He's not really saying this idea that like, um, you know, oh, if you, you just, you, you, you need to give a lot. What, what he's saying is that there's just this reality of investment. There's a, there's a principle to investment that the church and God's people are meant to be investing into this, believing in God's, uh, the, the furtherance of God's kingdom in this world. And we're meant to be investing in this with our time, our treasure, and our talents. And, and if, we, if we sow sparingly, in other words, and this is just, we know this, if you just throw a few seeds out, you only get a few plants back. But if you sow very generously, then you reap generously. There's, there's a bounty that happens with this. And, and, and I think that we have, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more, but I think that so many of these verses and these principles about giving, we've twisted them into this idea that like, oh, give more, you get more. We can't start from that perspective. We, that's, that's not a pure perspective to start from. That's a selfish perspective to start from. And it is not what God, I don't believe, is calling us to. What he's saying is that if we want to make a difference in the world out there, you want to see the world change out there, quit pointing your fingers at them and let's invest into that whole thing. Let's invest into that world. Let's make a difference out there. Let's begin to grow stronger families and, 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 and tighter marriages. Let's, let's begin to be a people who are investing into that, and if we invest into that and we invest into that generously, then we're going to see a return in the world around us. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God gives a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. He, God loves a cheerful giver. So, so there you go. So, um, New Testament-wise, there, there, there's not really a stand. This is the standard for giving. And, and, and it gives us two different um, things to look at. One is this, is don't give reluctantly. So if you've got something and you decide to give it, it shouldn't look like this. Here you go. Take it. I want my bass boat. It's just not like that, right? We, we, we can't give from that place. And we also can't give under compulsion. Like, I got to give this or, right? There's not compulsion in this stuff. 
right? It's really about a heart transformation. It's about a heart that begins to understand this giving God that we're serving, this God and how abundantly he has blessed us, how abundantly he has given to us, how he's the source of all things. And then out of that, I give with a smile on my face because because I know that he's good and because I know that I can't and I never will outgive this God who has given so generously. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work as it is written. So God wants to equip us. He wants to give us what we need. And we need to be a people that believe and understand that God can multiply everything that you have. This is what he does. He takes, you know, some loaves and some fish and he feeds thousands of people. He's a multiplier of what is out there. He multiplies every single day what's going on in the world around us. He's a provider. His provision is sufficient. And, and so, so we have to believe that he can multiply my time, he can multiply my, my talents, and he can multiply my treasure because God is saying that when we're faithful in this, when we start to see what we have, not as something that is selfishly mine, but as a stewardship that my life and the things that I have are a stewardship, that God has given them, and, and, and I'm, I'm a manager of those kinds of things, and that he is able to multiply everything that's out there. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So it's, it's all God. It's all God anyway. See, sometimes we, we, we always want to just bring it back to us. It's about me. It's about me. It's about my money. None of it, right? No, it's about God, and he's the one who's multiplying, and we just are simply a steward, and we become just a vessel. We just become a means by which God is blessing the world around us, and he's able to do that. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. God will get glory. God will be made famous when we truly live this out and we really become the generous givers that God has called us to be, that he will get glory because people in the community will understand that the church is generous. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What a shame wouldn't it be for the church to not exist and then the community to not miss us. That would be a shame. That would be awful, right? God is calling us to, to make a difference in the world around us. To emulate the life of Christ, we have to become givers. Look at another one here real quick. It's just, you can turn your Bible to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's a, it's a familiar story, right? And it's a story about um, a good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus replied, right? So what's he going to say? Well, just, just give me the box, right? Give me the box. Give me the list. Who's my neighbor? Are you my neighbor? Okay, check. You my neighbor? Check. You, are, you my neighbor? Check. You're not? Okay. I'll check in your box. Um, so, so he just wants to check the box. And then Jesus tells this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going by, down that road. So a priest, by chance, has an opportunity to do something here, Right? Because when he says by chance, I don't know how much by chance it really is. Maybe to the priest it's by chance, but I would say that this is a divine appointment, right? This is a divine appointment to be inconvenienced and to make a difference in somebody's life, right? But he, wouldn't, he, but he won't do it. Remember, the religious people here are the ones who are not getting this done. A priest was going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise, right? And, and, and so the, the, the religious leaders of the day there, they didn't want the chance of, of running across, across a corpse, possibly, touching a corpse, being defiled, ceremonially defiled and in need of, of cleansing, where it was going to trip them up in their job. Wow, huh? And then this Samaritan, what a slap in the face to all the Jewish people, right? Because if you know or you don't know, the, the Jews couldn't stand the Samaritans. They saw them as half-breeds um, who both theologically and genetically were inferior to them. And, and, and um, here Jesus is, is using one as an example of what it looks like to be a neighbor. And this guy is on a journey. He's on a journey. He's got business to take care of. He's got things going. He's busy. But he has this divine appointment. He has this thing in front of him, and he chooses to enter into it. And it absolutely is, um, it, it costs him time, it costs him his convenience, and it costs him money. It wasn't convenient for him. It was much more convenient for him to keep going. He didn't really, he was going on a journey. He was headed somewhere, but he spent extra time. He paid for it. And then not only that, but, but he, he did it generously and said, hey, look, even when I come back, if there's more that this guy has, has cost you, I'll just pay it. So, so Jesus flips the script on us, and when we say, who's my neighbor, he says, how about you just be a neighbor? And this is what it looks like to be a neighbor. What, what an amazing example that God gives us in that, love your neighbor as yourself. Because if I love my neighbor like I love me, I'll make sure they're pretty well taken care of because I make sure I am. So, here's the one that really got me this time. 
This is the verse, you know what, when we start talking about things and we start encouraging people and Christians are encouraging people to tithe, you know, I really think we have a wrong approach in this and I think we've, I think we've missed the mark in this. Listen to this, Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the, the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So... Um, when we teach tithing, a lot of times we start telling people this, God says, test you in this, test him in this. He'll show you. You can't outgive him. There will just be a bounty of just all kinds of just everything coming your way when you start. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you can't outgive God. And I'm going to tell you that there will be a bounty. Now, whether it's financial or not, I can't tell you, but that's not what I don't think that's what this is saying. Listen to this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. What does a storehouse represent? A storehouse represents provision. If you think about Joseph and you think about the people back in Egypt and you think about the, 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 the Hebrew people and their need, it was the storehouses in Egypt that were the provision for them. It was the fact that that, that, that was full, that, that God had, had made a way, that he had provided a provision for the other people so that they could come. And, and Egypt in that time was feeding the whole world around them, not just the Egyptians. They were feeding everybody around them, and they were meeting the needs of everybody. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. So God is saying this, if you fill up my storehouse then just watch. Watch what I do. Watch what I'll do. I'll begin to pour that out in a way that is a blessing. It'll bless both you and it'll bless all of those around you to the point of blessing until there is no more need. And I think that's absolutely the truth. Do you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm not picking on us too much, but we just got to talk about this stuff because it's the truth. There's a reality that if the church truly tithed 10% across the globe, across the uh, everywhere, the Christian church, those who name Christ as king, that there would be an excess of another $160 billion a year that would come into the church, that would come into this storehouse. And listen to what we could do with this. With $25 billion a year, we could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in five years. 12 billion a year could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion per year could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically at places in the world where 1 billion people live on less than $1 per day. $1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission work, and then there would still be about $100 billion left over for additional ministry expansion. I mean, it's just God has given us this way. Sometimes we look at the world around us and we are angry at God because we say, how come these little children over here are starving and dying? How come the world looks like this? And you know what? I think God says, well, you tell me. You tell me why it does. Because God has given us enough. The, the reality of it is, is that we can feed the world. We have the technology and we have the ability, but the economy of it doesn't work in our eyes. The economy of feeding the world isn't working for us. So there's this principle just of investment that we have to invest, that there is no return apart from investment. Jesus talked a lot about money because it has the power to derail us 
very much in our relationship to him. It has the power to derail us in, in living a meaningful and purposeful life. Money's not bad. Money isn't bad. Money has no morality. The morality of money is in the heart of the one who holds it. You can take a hundred bucks and you can do some really immoral stuff with it, or you can feed an orphan. The morality of money lies within the heart of the one who possesses it. You see, God wants to free us, honestly, of the power that, that money holds over us. He wants, to, he wants us to not have this stuff cluttering up our lives and our minds, derailing us and distracting us from the main thing, from the thing that God is really calling us from. You know, and, and don't think, I'm, I'm not the guy who's going to stand up here and just say, you know, well, well, what is it? Is God calling us all to, I don't believe God is calling us all to poverty. I believe that God is calling us to be cheerful givers. And I think that when we do that, and we begin to understand and we begin to live in the joy and experience the blessing of not having a hard, cold, stony heart that is just about mine, kind of like Gollum. Yeah, that's the whole point in Gollum. Remember, everybody see uh, uh, Lord of the Rings? That's the whole thing about Gollum is that this thing, it just sends him into this place of self where he's like, mine, you know, just my precious. This is precious, right? That's, that's what we look like. And then it begins to contort us and change us. And it begins to move us away from how God intended us. Ben talked about that. It popped out to me when he's talking about that at worship, just that God has created us to be different. And he's not shaming us or saying, oh, you know, you guys are just a bunch of greed. He's saying, no, this isn't, who I'm, this isn't who you've been made to be. I've made you to be this. I've made you to live here. I've made you to experience this life of, of goodness and generosity. And see, it has to be from a right place and a right heart, again, not out of compulsion and also not, not out of just, um, uh, what was it, I, I said, uh, compulsion, I just lost my train of thought. But anyway, it, it, it has to be from a right motive, from a pure heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So it's not about the act of this stuff. It's not about money either. I mean, Jesus tore out that whole thing. It's not about amounts. Remember the one that Jesus said as an example was a little old widow lady, right, who went and basically threw a dime in the bucket. Everybody else is throwing chunking big cat checks, making sure everybody else sees them as they're throwing them in. This lady throws a dime in the bucket, and Jesus says, look at her. Nobody can give more than she did. She gave out of her poverty. She gave in faith of God. She gave trusting him. She didn't give out of her wealth. But she trusted God in it. But we have to have love as we do that. Otherwise, it has no meaning. And it's a heart issue. That's the reality of the end of it. Is that it is a heart issue. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So let's just be a people. I think the challenge is let's be a people who place our treasure, who, who, who hand our heart over to something that is worthy of that. And that doesn't mean that you can't have some things and some stuff. It just means that we don't have to consume to the nth degree all the time. I believe that God is calling us to, to be a people who recognize the reality of there's a time where we have enough, that we begin to experience true 
contentment because we begin to say, I have enough, and now I also have an overflow that will actually bless some other people. You know, there is no command. God hasn't commanded us to give. It's more of an invitation. It's more of an invitation, but it certainly is a heart issue. And Jesus lays it out for us too. He gives us a spiritual truth. He says, you can't serve two masters. You'll love one and you'll forsake the other. There's a reality that, 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 that money has the potential to master us, to, to really kind of just own us. Looks kind of like this guy, right? Desire level 10 for the latest thing, your new image, the must-haves, the upgrade, what everyone else has got, and the better version. If you look behind him, there's an emergency stop, right? There's a place where, where, where God is just saying, look, um, all those things in their right place. Don't chase after those things. Don't allow ourselves to be caught up in all of that, but to re recognize and to, to know what real life is about, what real purpose is. So, Lord, we just ask that you would help us examine our hearts, Lord, and help us to just lay that out before you and to just to really look and say, Lord, where am I serving? Am I generous with my time? Am I serving in an area that, that will bless others, uh, that will be a blessing to people? Am I taking the treasure, the talents, Lord, that you've given me? Am I taking the talents and the gifts that the Spirit has given me, and am I giving them back to the church, to edify the church, and to further the church? And Lord, the treasure, the things that you've given me, the, the ways that you have so generously blessed us, especially here in this nation, Lord, are we hoarding or are we giving? Are we just, are we wrapped up in this idea of, of that I'll find meaning and purpose in things or do we recognize and know the reality that you're our purpose, that you're the place that's going, that you're able to multiply for us in ways that we never saw coming or could never imagine? So, Lord, we just ask that we would get off of that treadmill, if we're on it, on some level, and, Lord, that we would just look to you, that we would live lives that are free of the clutter and free of just the distraction, that we would have a focus on you and help us, Lord, as the church to recognize this principle of investment, that there's a reality that we need to invest into the community around us so that we might see the return. Lord, help us to not just be a, a people who are just pointing our fingers out the window of the church and saying, oh, I wish they'd quit all that. Help us, Lord, to go and to be a blessing, to take this outside of the church, to bless others, to invest into the community around us, Lord. And then, Lord, we're going to trust you for the return on that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.